Welcome to Hookup Horror Stories. This podcast contains topics that may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 18. This includes things like domestic violence, sexual assault, and sexuality. They are intended to be educational in nature, but either way, a trigger warning is in place. Listener discretion is advised. The fingering was so bad that I was like, I'm not having sex with this guy. I'm not having intercourse with him. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not into it. I don't want to do it. But I felt guilty, like, oh, because of the patriarchy, like we were saying, I felt like, oh, well, I invited him back to his place. Therefore, he is owed sex or, or he's owed uh, ejaculation. He's owed something. So right. let me just provide this. Let me just provide this hand job so that I can get out of this scenario. But the slide in that pussy is a homicide. <laughs> Welcome to Hookup Horror Stories, the podcast where we spill the tea on sex and dating. I'm Demi Wild, your resident sexual deviant. And today I've got a very extra special guest deviant. She has been featured in Today, Huffington Post, and the New York Observer. She is a men's sex and relationship coach, a sex researcher, as well as a host of the Dear Men podcast, Melanie Curtin. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Jazz hands. Jazz hands. We were just talking about this, but you're in LA too. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like what brought you here and the kind of work that you do? Oh, great question. I actually started off on the East Coast, I was in New York City, and I was working to stop sexual abuse in the Jewish community. Yes, very niche, very, very niche. I am Jewish myself, so it's a little bit less weird. But um, that was a big part of my world for a while. And essentially, um, I realized that we're not going to be able to address that issue holistically without building a healthy sexual culture. So I sort of shifted into, well, how do we do that? What does that mean? How do we help people have healthy sex, dating, and relationships? And then I transitioned into coaching and the kind of work that I do now. And I work primarily with men who have sex with women in improving their dating relationships and sex. And about half my clients are single and half are in committed relationships. That's awesome. And I completely agree with you. I think like the kind of issues that we have, like the hurdles that we have when it comes to like sex education is just the education aspect of it. We just need to inform people on like how proper things to to do, the proper practices and, you know, all the things that come with it. I I was curious to know, like, what was the uh, sexual abuse in the Jewish community that you just spoke about? Like, what was the prevalence of that? Yeah, so we were working mostly with the Hasidic communities, the very insular communities, and sexual abuse is is quite prevalent in communities like that, not just the Jewish community, uh, obviously the Catholic community, we're familiar with that, but any insular communities, I think sexual abuse is is worse, essentially, because there's more shame around sex, and there's also a lot more access. So you're talking about the Amish, the Mennonites, um, Mormons, any insular communities, there tends to be a lot of of trauma, of sexual trauma. We were working mostly with boys, actually, not girls. Uh, I think we think about girls and women a lot when it comes to sexual abuse and the numbers are 
much higher, but we were working with boys in yeshivas mostly. So in the schools or at home or family members or just that kind of thing. Um, and really, I think one of the things that I kind of walked away with was how devastating that experience can be, but also how resilient people can be around it. And particularly when they are believed and when they are supported. So I think the issue was, was less the experiences that happened to people and more that they weren't believed and they weren't supported in those experiences. So again, this is part of why the healthy sexual culture matters because when you're open with your, with your particularly with your kids, I'm thinking about parenting, when you're, they, there are studies that show that if children know the proper names for their body parts, including their genitals, they are less likely to be molested. And I think it's because of the healthy sexual culture in that home that people aren't afraid to say, oh, is your vulva itchy? Or is that itchy again? Let's figure it out. When kids are really young, they're learning the right words. There's there's not that shame. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that part of the body. We don't talk about sex at all. So again, it's kind of the openness and the health comes from that. Secrets are where the festering happens. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, we we're hearing a lot more these days, you know, obviously we had the big kind of bombshell thing in the nineties for the Catholic church. And we're kind of, kind of still hearing a lot of those echoes happening just on a daily basis currently. So it really makes sense that a lot of these, you know, insular communities that you have, you know, religious communities that kind of limit the access to education, limit what people learn because of just the shame that surrounds it or all the things that come with that, um, that, they really don't have the verbiage to say, hey, I don't like that, or this feels wrong, or they don't know how to bring that type of stuff up. Yes. And then you add power structures on top of that, where there are religious leaders with power and no one wants to challenge them. That's a whole other layer that makes it easy. And it, yeah, there's it's like a, a whole intermixed thing. Um, but I really, I really loved that work and particularly working with survivors who were getting trauma therapy and watching them get their lives back really and kind of grow and expand and 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 then speak about it to others so I, I it's in a weird way I always appreciate a conversation about sexual abuse because it makes it safer for other people and it you know it's the same with things like domestic violence I think I don't know if you remember this but um Ray Rice uh, a, a video came out with Ray Rice hitting his wife and calls to domestic violence hotline skyrocketed. So in a way, it's like when we sh when we share what's going on with us or when we bring up a difficult topic, it makes it safer for other people to share about it. So in a weird way, I'm always like, this is great. I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm glad this is coming into the open because it's an experience that many of my men have also had that I work with. I'd say at least 25% of our clients, maybe up to 30% of our clients have had that experience. And, um, and it's not a death sentence. Like it can be worked with, but it has to be brought into the light. It has to be shared. It has to be named, included, and worked with, not this thing I put over here in a box that I never, yeah, never look at. It's kind of that same thing with like, you know, gay people. And we've never really had um you know uh, representation in media for example um when because you know a lot of people like that's why i think a lot of like people when we finally started getting that in the late 90s um it, it felt like there was an explosion of gay people after that but it's not really that we've always been here it's just now we have the word and now we have the oh oh now we can just exist in public <laughs> Totally. It's so true. It's like, I was having a conversation with a kind of ignorant straight friend of mine <laughs> recently. And he was like, it just seems like there's so many more gender fluid people and so many more queer people. I was like, they were always there. They just weren't allowed to be who they were. 
they were undercover because it wasn't safe. It wasn't like they weren't around. <laughs> it's always been there. They've just been, I don't know. I mean, you can speak to that better than me, obviously, but I got really mad at him. because I was like, I think you had that wrong. <laughs> It's it's the same thing with sex, you know, like once you kind of have an example of something in front of you, that representation of like, you know, what a survivor is or like what sexual assault looks like, it kind of gives you that framework to think, oh, mm -hmm. happened to me too. That's why a lot of people come forward later in life with sexual assault allegations like, oh, well, I didn't know that's what that was back then. Now I can see that clearly because now I have an example of it in front of me. Yes. And I guess on the topic, I would just say, you know, many of the stories that I hear are an older cousin or like a, like a 12 year old and a 17 year old, or, um, I think we often tend to think of, yes, of course, priests and people in positions of power, that is a problem, but there's a, a lot of the stories that I hear is like siblings, cousins, um, family, friends, you know, it's it's not always an adult and a child. Sometimes it's like a tween and an older teen. But if it feels icky and bad and gross, that's abuse. And it, if you didn't give consent, that's abuse. And so I think, yeah, that categorization, like you said, of, I've watched a lot of men in my life recategorize and say, oh yeah, that, that wasn't okay. And I think that men are particularly isolated in our culture um, particularly socially isolated in many ways. And I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around sex and sexual abuse in general, but I do think that there's a different layer for men that it's, it's like extra hard for them to talk about it or to share for a variety of reasons. And that's why, yeah, I'm so passionate about it, particularly with that population. Cause it's so important. Yeah. I want to follow that thread a little bit. Um, so for, for instance, like men kind of have a really difficult time expressing themselves sexually in a healthy way. Um, and, you know, what is it about sex coaching that kind of, what's your method, I, I should say, like that helps them kind of like untangle that weave of web that might have them confused about what, what that, what that means for them? Yeah. So I would say that, um, generally there are sort of two archetypes of men, um, well, really there are three, but I'll just go here for, for this. There's nice guys. And then there's kind of like bad boys. And then there's the middle, which is what I teach men how to be, which is an integrated man. The nice guys, a lot of them, they have a lot of sexual shame. They have, um, a lot of, um, they want to get it right. They don't want to, a lot of my clients are in this category of nice guy. They don't want to hurt women. They don't want to dominate women. They don't want to do it wrong. They don't want to be that guy. And so in their effort to not be that guy, they kind of cut off their sexuality. So these are the, these are the nice guys. These are the safe guys. These are guys who sometimes will get first dates, but they won't get second dates. They're not able to kind of claim women sexually when we start out our work. Right. And then there's the other side where these guys can claim and they can dominate, you know, Right. But they're, but they're, um, but they can be rapey about it. Right. They're not, they're not actually integrated. Their heart isn't as online. So this type, the sort of bad boy type, his spiritual path is to open his heart. This is a huge generalization. So please take it with a grain of salt. But on the other side, the nice guy's spiritual path is to step into his power because they think that healthy power is part of what makes sex hot. Right. It's like, I want you and I'm attuning to you right? I'm paying attention to you, but I want you, right? And that want you part is the part that nice guys are still growing into. So as far as methodology, I think one of the major ways that we work with our men is just around getting more connected to other men 
And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but so many men are so lonely and haven't been able to share their stories, right? I'm talking about bullying. I'm talking about child sexual abuse. I'm talking about their deep, deep stories. They haven't really had a safe place to go with that. And they haven't been accepted or felt accepted, particularly by other men. So that is a major place that our program is a group program. And it's a transformational program for men with men in it. So it's different than therapy, for example, which is one-on-one, which is great. There's nothing wrong with one-on-one work, but there's an added layer when you get one-on-one work and group work. Because when, like you said, when one of our men in a group shares, I have trouble getting it up sometimes and it's humiliating and I don't know what to do about it. I will often say, raise your hand if you have also had that issue and six other guys will raise their hand. And there's just something about that for a man that's transformational. So for me, I think a lot of our methodology rests on commonality, the commonalities that men start to see with each other. And then kind of, there's just a way that they're like, okay, yeah, this is part of my world, but it doesn't have to dominate my world. Or this is something that happened to me. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person or whatever is going on for them. And I'll watch them even just like, their shoulders, like a lot of the guys we work with kind of come in sort of hunched a little bit or like tense, you know? And then as we work, I watch their shoulders come up or their spines become straighter in there. And that's where your heart is, right? Your heart can open up when your chest opens up. And it's also where your power is. So for me, I'm, I'm yeah, very passionate about particularly the nice guys and helping them step into their power and, and get out there because those are the men that, you know, those are the men we want. The integrated men are the one we want. We want men who have an open heart and, and are in their power. Those are the safe men. Right. I feel like, you know, in the society, we're kind of becoming more extreme because of, you know, the, the I'll say it, patriarchy. <laughs> but men are, for instance, like they're kind of the, the a victim in all of this as well. It's just the same as women because they don't, they're not allowed to freely express themselves. They have to be either this or they have to be that. Like it's, it, there's nothing in between. There's no nuance anymore. And that's why I find it so frustrating with dealing with people on the internet these days is because there's no nuance. You're not understanding the full context of something that's being presented to you. You're not uh, understanding that this person might have a different experience than you. And, you know, it's just a whole mishmash of things. So it completely makes sense that pe- that men in particular are also victims of this kind of mentality, this extremist mentality. Either you're going to be a bad boy or you're going to be a nice guy. Yes. And it's even reflected. There's a, an interesting social science research study done on North American boys. So eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, like right around that age. And the language that boys use to describe their friends shifts drastically right around 10, 11, 12. So before, particularly before 10, they're more welcoming, they're more open, they talk about their friends, they talk about a best friend, they'll hold hands, there's a lot more expressiveness, like you said, and then the man box comes in. And right around 11, 12, 10, 11, 12, in in this research study, the the language shifts, it becomes much more isolated, much more competitive. less open, less expressive. And it's exactly what you said. You know, I feel like there are parts of, of parts of a man's humanity that, that have to be stripped away to fit in the man box. And I think it's deeply unfair, right? I I just, I couldn't agree with you more that the patriarchy harms all of us because it, it takes away a man's joy. We've had men who are like, yeah, I stopped, I stopped laughing as much. I stopped being joyful because I got made fun of. So it's not just emotional, you know, it's not just sadness or grief 
although men are also not allowed to, <laughs> to express that really, but it's also joy and effervescence and, you know, moving that energy through your body. It's like, you have to be locked down and stoic if you want to be in the man box, if you want to be quote masculine, which I have a whole issue with, and I'm sure you do too, but yeah. I think we're like, well, it's, it's almost that thing. Like we all have that emo phase, you know, we all have that kind of growing pain where we're like, I don't know where I belong in this world. And then the world's kind of preventing me from being my authentic self. Hatred is not a learned behavior. I I'm full. Like, I do not believe that hatred is inherent. I think children are, and anyone who has kids knows this children are just naturally loving. They want to know things. They they're, deeply curious and they want to know things um they want to know how the world works but then when you kind of take that away from them and you say well that's not right that's feminine quote unquote that's where I think a lot of us men in particular even gay men I would say you know we kind of have this like rough phase in our like 15 16s you know 12 to 12 to you know all the teens <laughs> pretty much let's just lump it in all the teens were a terrible time for everybody <laughs> Because we're trying to figure out, okay, this is what society expects from me. This is where I am. I don't know where I belong. And where, and who can I be safe with? Like, where can I be safe to be myself? I think that's, that's part of what I've, what I've witnessed repeatedly is the bullying and the stories. Like, I can't tell you how many of our men are survivors of bullying and the cruelty that, that comes out of that part of not fitting in or not looking like a certain looking a certain way has a cost and then we we tend to hold on to that structure for a long time until we do spiritual work to uncover and sort of dismantle that so that we can actually be who we who we are which for a lot of men means reclaiming their emotions that have not been allowed to be expressed and so they're all stuck right they're all stuck in their body and they're holding all this tension and like why did why you know why am i having trouble it's like well she can't really feel you and you're not really in your body because you're holding all this tension so that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's related. No, yeah, I'm I'm also a, a survivor of bullying. I was bullied horribly from like fifth grade to like eighth grade. I think I finally escaped like eighth grade, but it was it was not fun. <laughs> and it stays. It can stay with you. It can stay with you, and that you know, it takes a lot to overcome that. Yeah. Um. So you are a female. Uh, what is your clientele? Is it is it both? men and women or is it just kind of mostly men it's mostly men yeah I work with men and then I also work with couples but I only work with couples who are my graduates so I work with uh, about half single men and half men in relationships and then sometimes I'll work with couples what are some like key issues that you find in like the relationship dynamics or even like what are some benefits of having a female men sex coach yeah great question um yeah some of my men call me their secret decoder ring so, ah. <laughs> so I think it really helps having a safe woman who cares and is compassionate and has a sense of, of the man's experience and who can speak to things like, um, this came up the other day, we were working with a married guy and, um, he had set up this whole thing for his wife and like a weekend away without the kids, et cetera. And, um, he came on to her in the evening and she, she rejected him. And she said something like, this is what you were thinking about all day. Like all you want is sex, something kind of like all you want is sex. 
And I, he, and his feelings were hurt, obviously. Um, and one of the things that we were, when we were debriefing, I shared was, I think that as a woman who has sex with men, I have been trained my whole life to be afraid of being used for sex. Like I've been trained, men only want one thing. Don't give away the milk for free. Like, you know, kind of like, I think it descends from our puritanical roots of like, protect your virginity. Like you gotta, you gotta guard against this thing that he wants from you kind of thing, which is like a defensive posture, um, not an open posture. And so one of the things I shared was, it's kind of like a, a lot of women are still afraid of being called a slut or being labeled slutty. I myself included in the in the business world say where I don't want to be categorized in a certain way because that's going to have real ramifications on my business that a lot of women have just like a legacy burden around being afraid of being um, used for sex. And he had never considered that like as it wasn't the only thing going on in that moment. But he was like, wow, that's that makes sense. Like that's just part of her experience. Even if I'm not trying to use her for sex, she might be have that fear in her, have that experience in her. And part of what I shared was like, yeah, I think you can have some compassion for, for where she's coming from. And I also think that you can share in a non-triggered moment, like, Hey, that kind of hurt my feelings. Like, I, I love you. We've been together for over 10 years. I, I respect you. I, I'm you're you're my woman. Like, I don't, I don't just want you for sex. And, and it hurt my feelings a little bit that you said that, like, you get to be a person too, and bring your experience too. Like you don't. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in those kind of dynamics where, you know, one person, you know, and, you know, every relationship kind of goes through these ups and downs where, you know, you're kind of like at a low communication level, I, I would say, or like maybe you're not quite communicating as effectively as possible. And so a lot of things can come up in those times that you're just kind of left on the byline. So it really does help to kind of have a person who kind of knows how the other side feels. <laughs> to kind of like help alleviate oh well that makes sense then Definitely. yeah I'm curious in your experience do you feel like you because you're a man you get men more and so it's do you think it's easier because I would imagine that you have um friends who have sex with the opposite sex too do you feel like it is easier as someone who has sex with the same sex in some ways I feel like yeah like you know just being a gay man I've I've been gay my whole life <laughs> as <laughs> most people are um but like I I definitely feel as though like just from that lens itself I understand how men as a gender as a as a sex operates and um so a lot of my straight friends yeah I I, I get where they come from as well and also I I also get like the thing that the privilege if you will of how of being a gay man is kind of having that kind of freedom to kind of be able to not be associated with like normal societal standards for people and we kind of have a lot of like leeway with that as well so there's a lot of like nuance as well just being a gay man versus a straight man culturally um it's it's definitely i, I definitely feel like though i understand that <laughs> that is a start. it's it's interesting too because i was just talking about this that um people who have sex with the opposite sex have different body parts and so there's a different way. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I do sex research. It's one of the things that I do. And um, female bodies take three to four times as long to get aroused as male bodies. So a male body person takes about seven minutes to come to full physiological arousal, full. Like all systems go, all the blood is there. Everything's happening, seven minutes. Female bodies take 21 to 45 minutes to come to full physiological arousal. So there's a turn on gap 
which is why in a lot of my sex research, women are screaming about foreplay, <laughs> like more foreplay. I need more foreplay because literally their body takes longer to warm up. Whereas if you're having sex with the same sex, right, it, they kind of know that either, like, either way, it's sort of like those match up um, versus these are really different. And I think that sort of dovetails with it's really hard to talk about sex. So it's really hard for a female bodied person to say, ow, I'm not ready yet. Or like, I need more foreplay in the moment. Most of what my sex research shows is women are afraid to speak up. So they just don't share. Thus, their number one sex problem is pain. Mm-hmm. Whereas men's number one sex problem is completely different. Yeah. You get that, men? I'm looking straight at the camera right now. Eat the pussy. Eat it. Eat it. Even if you don't like it, eat it. <laughs> yeah. It's also like, I think uh, foreplay in particular is like, it's not just the time in the sheets. Like if it's part of why dance clubs of all kinds are a thing, because if you dance bachata for a while, like you're probably going to be turned on, you know, like it's not just the time in the sheets. Like foreplay is just attention, you know, time, sometimes touch, sometimes eye contact, but like all of that matters and it counts right her body is warming up as that stuff is happening and I think that's something that a lot of men forget and in my sex research I one of the things I did was I asked women about the men who are best in bed um this was primarily directed at women who have sex with men and um one of the themes that came out there were a couple big themes but one of them was um he put attention on me throughout the day so there was texting beforehand or there was just there was foreplay around attention on me yeah, I, well, I was surprised because, of course, I think as researchers, we always assume everyone's answers will be our answers. Like, <laughs> so, so I expected they would say just the same thing as me, and that was one I had not said and thought of. And a lot of women talked about it: attention, presence, and awareness on her, and and praise, right? Praise or flirting or whatever it was before the encounter was part of what had it feel hot. Mm-hmm. I have. Uh, I just recently, there's something to that. I, I, I just recently uh, filmed a video for my YouTube channel. Um, I, I tested out some AI dating chatbots. <laughs> and I, I was getting an emotional response from like the kind of questions it was asking and the kind of like, I, like it felt good, you know? But I obviously knew it was not a real person, but there's something to that, like the paying attention kind of aspect to it. I was like, oh, like this feels kind of good. I'm kind of having an emotional response to this AI bot. So I can definitely see a lot of like how um, the the lead up to, you know, the meeting, the paying attention can definitely feel uh, more comforting. Yes. And I think it's also, you know, you're probably familiar with this, but there's different kinds of arousal. And so a lot of men are are aroused visually and a lot of women are not. Um, A lot of women have uh, more of what's known as responsive desire. So they might, they're not really in the mood for sex necessarily, but as they are touched in a way that they like, or as attention is placed on them, then they get aroused. So I think there's a, there's a, the number one reason that people seek out sex therapists is called the libido difference. So they, they perceive that like, like a lot of times they'll, they'll ask the man, like he'll say something like, yeah, if it was up to her, we'd never have sex. And, you know, she never wants to have sex ever. And they say, okay, well, how much sex would you have? Like in your ideal world. And he says, I don't know, like three or four times a week. 
And then they ask her and she's like, if it was up to him, we'd have sex all the time, every day, all the time. He wants it all the time. And they say, in your ideal world, how much would you want it? And she says, I don't know, two to three times a week. So they're only off by one or two times, but the perception is huge, you know? And I think that's partly because women don't have the same kind of desire as men. It is much more responsive. And, and when I say responsive, it's like, it takes a little while, right? It, like it takes something, it takes longer. Whereas for male body people, they're kind of like, oh, I guess she's not into it. And it, yeah, we do a lot of work in my, in my coaching around, um, you know, turn on and arousal and different people's styles. And I, I teach men how to lead conversations about sex, how to actually talk about it in an inviting way, because you can learn a lot if you ask and you pay attention and you listen. But what a lot of us do is we just have sex and we don't talk about it because it's so scary. And in my research, one of the things that came up a lot was, you know, I've asked particularly women, if something wasn't working for you sexually, did you tell a partner why or why not? And the vast majority said, no, I didn't tell him because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I think that is common for all people, right? It's like, it's really awkward to say like the way that you're fingering me hurts or, you know, like, I think it's a, uh, it's a risk. It's a risk. And like a lot of women are afraid if I speak up, he'll lash out at me or he'll withdraw and just leave. So I'll, I'll just grin and bear it. I'll just, you know, I'll grin and bear it. I, I'll tolerate pain for the relationship. And then that goes on for a while. And then it's like, she's never told him and he's never asked. And so now they're, you know, years into a relationship, like they've still never, he's still not really known how to turn her on truly. And yeah, the conversation hasn't been there. So I teach a lot of how to invite, how to lead, how to ask over time to create that safe sexual space in a relationship. And I'm curious, do you feel like, I mean, you only have sex with men, so you don't really know, but do you feel like it's, it's generally easy for you to communicate with a partner and vice versa about something that's not working? No, <laughs> um, just with all, I think that's why I study communications is because like my last relationship was, uh, we, we just kind of stopped communicating our wants and needs to each other. It kind of became like a, it, it, or maybe it just felt like a roommate situation. Like there was love there, obviously, but like, it just felt like we just weren't kind of on the same wavelength anymore. So I think a lot of the issues are just interpersonal issues, you know, just being like being able to communicate with your partner effectively, um, express your wants, your needs, your desires, all those things kind of intertwine as well. Um, and I think as men, even gay men, we still kind of suffer from that same unwillingness to express ourselves in a decent, healthy way, the same as straight men, the same as a lot of women as well. I mean, just, it's a human experience. Just communication is a really big aspect to any relationship. Yes, and risk and vulnerability, right? Saying, because one of the things that I teach men is how to ha have a conversation and say, listen, this is really awkward for me to bring up. I've never really talked about this with someone before. I don't know how it's gonna go, but I do wanna be close to you. Like I want, I want this to work or I want to be close to you. So here are some things that have been on my heart around sex. And I would love to hear what's on your heart around sex, because including the fact that you're nervous, right. Or including the fact that this is an edgy topic for you. I feel like loose, um, what is it? Um, makes the ground softer. It kind of puts the other person on alert, like, Oh, something important is about to be shared. Like I'm really scared to tell you this, or this is risky for me. You know, I, I 
did this with my partner recently where I got on the phone. I was like, I'm pretty nervous. I'm pretty nervous to have this conversation. This feels like a risk for me to take. And um, if I don't tell you, I'm going to act weird and distant. And like, I don't want that, right? I don't want that for you. I don't want you to have to guess what's going on with me. And like, this is a pretty big risk I'm about to take is telling you this thing that happened, this, this way that you hurt my feelings, super risky. Mm-hmm. for me. And then I shared what it was. And so that whole preamble, that whole beginning part is important because you are showing vulnerability. When we say I'm nervous to say this, or this is a risk for me, you're, you're showing your heart. You're saying like, this is kind of hard. And, and why I'm doing it is something that I sort of share with my men. It's like, what is your intention? My intention is for us to be close or my intention is to be transparent because frankly, I haven't been transparent in my past relationships and it's led to some really shitty circumstances. So I don't want to be someone who you have to figure out. I don't want to be an enigma. Like I don't want you to have to sleuth out like, maybe it was this, was it that? Is she being distant? Is it? Is it just me? Is it all in my head? I don't want you to have to do that. I want to tell you as we go along and I want you to tell me. So I think that's, And again, I'm very passionate about like, this shit should be taught in schools. We should teach people how to relate with each other, not just romantically, although that's a big deal, but just like how to have repair conversations, which is what I use instead of conflict resolution. How do you actually skillfully share when you were hurt? And how do you hold space for someone who shares their hurt with you? We should be teaching it to everyone because it's one of the most important life skills and who cares about the periodic table? You know what I'm saying? Definitely. I'm like, why do I have to be 30 in order to take my first interpersonal communications class? Like, <laughs> you have to be a full adult. <laughs> um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be story time. And we're back. I am here with Melanie Curtin, host of the Dear Med podcast, sexual relationship coach and sex researcher. And I believe it's story time. Story time. Okay. So this story took place in New York City when I was living there. I went into a macaron shop, those fancy cookies, the little fancy cookies. Yes. Um, I thought I thought the guy behind the counter was cute. And so I flirted with him a little bit. And I did the classic thing of leaving my name and number on a cocktail napkin. So yeah, yeah so. very classy, very classy. It happens in real life. Maybe it wasn't a cocktail napkin. It was a cookie napkin, but it was one of those little square white ones. Um, felt very, very classic and kind of like slid it over to him like stealth, stealth style. So he got in touch. We went on a uh, kind of an awkward date. I <laughs> yeah I yeah I had a guy friend at the time and he was there and then one of my other women friends joined us and so it was sort of a group and anyway it was a little bit of an awkward date but it was fine you know it was fine sure. so uh we go back to my Airbnb and um we're making out and this was sort of a classic uh I think classic scenario of kind of what I was talking about where um Kissing was okay. Kissing was fine. Fingering was bad, really bad, like really bad, like painful, bad and kind of sloppy and just like not attuned, you know, right. Not kind of like reading my signals or whatever. And, um, I just didn't know how I was like in my twenties at the time. I didn't know how to say, ah, let's do something else. Or like, actually that doesn't like feel that good. I was scared. I was scared that he would like, yeah, lash out at me or get mad at me or, you know, I don't know. 
I'm always afraid that um, a man is going to say, oh, you don't like how I do it? Well, fuck you then, you stupid cunt. I'm like very afraid of being like attacked. I think you know? it is. Everyone's afraid of, you know, the worst case scenario when that kind of yeah. stuff happens. And I don't think he would have responded that way. But my other experience in general, which is also reflected in my research, is that uh, when I say like, oh, I'd love it a little more gentle, I'd love it more gentle, the man will adjust for about a minute and a half, and then he'll go back to how he was doing it. And that is also reflected in the research. And especially in long-term relationships, you know, women talk about like, I've told him a few times, but now I feel like a nag. So that they're not fingering me more gently or whatever the adjustment is. And now I feel like I'm nagging. And so I kind of want to avoid sex. Right. And men are like, I wonder why my woman doesn't want to have sex with me. Like, well, that's maybe part of it is that bad at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think that there's, there's a lot that can be learned and adjusted. So I'm in bed with this guy. He's fingering me. It's not good. It's not good. Um, and I'm kind of like bracing my body right against pain, which is one of the things that came up in my research too, was women talking about like tensing up or like bracing or like, yeah, just like that kind of experience, which is like not good at all. And so, um, I like, I don't know, excuse myself to go to the bathroom or I don't remember what happened. Somehow I like got out of the bed and came back and then there was like a new phase and we're kind of like lying next to each other for a minute and he could sort of sense that something was wrong but he didn't know what to do about it and he wasn't like reaching out to ask or anything so long story short I ended up giving him a hand job because I felt guilty right I was like oh I brought him back and I'm not oh that was what it was the fingering was so bad that I was like I'm not having sex with this guy I'm not having intercourse with him like I don't I'm, I'm not into it I don't want to do it but I felt guilty like oh because of the patriarchy, like we were saying, I felt like, oh, well, I invited him back to his place. Therefore, he is owed sex or, or he's owed uh, ejaculation. He's owed something. So right. let me just provide this. Let me just provide this hand job so that I can get out of this scenario. Like, let me just do this so that I can exit or like have this be done. And so I did. So I gave him a hand job and he left. And he, again, he was like, is everything okay? Like, he was kind of like, um, checking like trying to check in a little bit like are you okay or like are we okay or whatever and I didn't really feel like going into all of that and so I was like it's fine you know it's fine just you know like please leave um and he did he wasn't like weird about it or he wasn't rapey at all he was just not that great at sex and and then he left and I, I just remember having this moment of like what the fuck I didn't even get paid like I'm not even a sex worker like this guy came over I beat him off I didn't really experience pleasure. I was mostly bracing against pain. Didn't really feel safe to express myself. And then he left. Like, what the hell was that? Like, that was the that was the worst hookup I've ever had. And I'm sure, you know, there are other ones that were bad in different ways, but that's just one that stands out where it's like, man, that really sucked. Like, I really thought this guy was cute. I was really excited about it. And then I'm like, it's happened to me multiple times where I've, I've been excited about someone and then I've gotten into bed and I'm like, ow, like what you're doing is actually painful and not attuned. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel turned on. I actually feel like I'm bracing and, and that's our hookup. Like that's really sad. And I think it's extra sad because yeah, I don't, I don't, I think that, um, it would help for, for, for men to learn the things that I teach in my sex course about like, how's that pressure, right? Like, how is it going? You know, just like, getting some feedback and, and, and just in general, just like, just use way less pressure than you've ever used in your life because everything you've seen in porn is wrong. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very familiar with the pity hand job. It's it's definitely um, uh, been in my repertoire over the over the years. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Sometimes I want to get the job done and get the fuck out and then go have dinner. Like, <laughs> order a pizza. <laughs> um where did that emoji come from oh it's in the in the reactions you can i oh. put up the eggplant emoji for people that are listening audio yeah I, this is too perfect i just had to where did that come from <laughs> <laughs> never seen that before bizarre um yeah ex exactly like you know you just have to have like kind of ongoing communication ongoing check-ins like how do you like that is that all right Dude, does this feel good? Um, it's definitely like gotta be part of the practice. Yes. And I think it's especially wonderful in male-female relationships when men lead that because it is so hard for women to do it. It just feels really scary and kind of unsafe for 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 us. Um, that was an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. Uh, before I let you go, I have two things I wanna do. I have one question and then we're gonna play a game. Uh, the question that I wanted to get to that we didn't get to earlier was um, in your research, you have this thing called a heart cock matrix. What, yes. is <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So I've noticed that there are two sort of primary energies in the men that I work with. There's heart energy and there's cock energy. Heart energy is kind of what we're talking about, like connection, opening up, um, safety, emotional safety tends to live over there. And so nice guys are the archetype of nice guys often have a lot of heart energy and not as much cock energy. Cock energy is driving things forward. It's, it, I mean, everyone has both of these energies inside them. I just like to use the word cock because I think it's a good example of like, that's part of cock energy is like being willing to take risks, to go for things, to, um, drive forward and to like be provocative right just like that edgy energy is is this so if you imagine like a scale a lot of the guys we work with have a lot of heart energy not as much cock energy and then we have guys that have a lot of cock energy not as much heart energy and those tend to be on you know on the really lame side those are your fuck boys um they're not not that great but we do work with clients who are a little have more heart a lot of cock energy, not all the way over on the heart scale. And what we find is that they have trouble sustaining relationships. So they can get into, they can get into one, but they're like, yeah, I've never had one longer than three months. Or I'm realizing like women keep leaving me essentially. Um, whereas for the nice guy, maybe they're getting first dates, but they're not getting second dates. They're not they're, they're, that power, that sexual power and drive. And it's just about sex either. Like I can't tell you the number of, of clients I've worked with in this category where they weren't going after what they wanted in their jobs either. So just cock energy isn't just about sex. It's 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 power, really. It's power. And so the top right of the matrix is what women are craving. We're craving the integrated man, right? The man who has his heart online and his cock with it. So he's got, he's in his power and he's listening. He's in his power and he's listening. So he's not just dominating. He's not just taking what he wants, but he's leading with what he wants and inviting her into an experience, right? And this even shows up in the way that I kind of coach men around dating, which is like, have a plan, lead. And what that sounds like is, I would love to take you to a jazz night this weekend. How does that sound? Right? So it's not, I'm doing this and it's not leaning back and there's no plan at all, but it's like, 
here's my idea. How does that sound? Like, I want to hear from you. I want to, I want to, to make this collaborative, but here's my plan. <laughs> I'm coming with something. I've got, I've got an idea. I've got some drive. Um, and same, like, I remember this one guy I dated briefly. Um, we were sitting on this couch and we were like on opposite ends of the couch and we'd never hooked up before. And he said, quote, I really want to make out with you right now, but I'm not sure how to make that happen. And I thought that was so endearing and such a great example of leading, like leading. Yeah. Leading doesn't have to look like it looks in the movies. Like that's leading to me. It's like, here's what I'm wanting, but I'm not sure how to make it happen. It was kind of an invitation. It was really sweet. Um, so that counts too. So I think that's just, um, yeah, something I'm passionate about is, is the integrated man and helping men become that either step into their power or open their heart. Those are really the two paths. Um, because it's so much of what we crave and there's safety with the nice guy and there's excitement with the cock energy guy. And what we really want is both. We don't want to have to choose between feeling safe and feeling wanted. Right. Definitely. I, I definitely see that too. And, and there's definitely a way that you can bring things up like that. Um, you know, even if it might seem awkward in time, there's a way to turn awkward endearing. (laughs) Just how you ask it. (laughs) Yes. I remember uh, one of our clients was, um, he was dating a woman who was vegan and he's like a huge carnivore and he was like really worried about it. And we role played a little bit of like, how could you bring that up to just have a conversation about it? He was like, I I don't know. How do you do that? You know, it was like, it sounds like a small thing, but when you're dating, you eat all the time. Like you're eating together constantly. And so it was one of the very first relationship conversations he'd ever led himself. And he was like, that felt really good. It felt really good. And the reason it was important was it was really distracting for him. So he couldn't really be present with her with like this on his mind, even just like as they were dating. So it's a small example, but yeah, I think bringing one of the ways he phrased it when he did bring it up was like, I don't really know how to say this or talk about it, but I've been noticing this and I do want to be present with you. So I just have to talk about this thing. It's like, great. You know, issuing an invitation, opening up the space. And she actually thanked him for that. She was like, that's really like, thank you for bringing it up. Like, I didn't, I didn't know that this was really on your mind. And like, it's good to know. And thank you for being the one that, you know, initiated the conversation, like made space for it. Definitely. Okay, Melanie, this has been awesome. Before I let you go, let's jump into a game. So this is a game I play with all my guests called Red Flags. Basically, I'm gonna give you a situation. All you have to do is, it could be funny, it could be silly, it could be sexy, it could be whatever. Um, And then all you gotta do is tell me if it's a red flag for you or not. And if you wanna elaborate, go right ahead. Sound good? Okay, yeah. Uh, Number one, they are too too tired to have sex. No, not a red flag. Wait, do you mean all the time or what, what specify? Is this like one night? Like what? I mean, it could be one night. Um, if they're always too tired, that would obviously be a red flag for me. Um, but yeah, like one night too tired to have sex. No, it's fine tomorrow. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Lives are stressful. (laughs) We're we're all kind of tired a lot of the time. So that would not be a deal breaker for me. What about you? We're all tired. Me, I I mean, if it's a one night, obviously, yeah, it's fine. Not not tonight, maybe, maybe later. Yeah, that's fine. Uh number two, they speak every romance language, French, Italian, Spanish, Italian, uh, etc. <laughs> that's not a red flag. No, that's a green flag. That's a green flag. Yeah. 
Um, number three, they have an oddly shaped furniture in their bedroom. <laughs> Green flag. <laughs> Green flag. I like weird weirdness. Yeah. I'm a like, fan of weird. I would be like, what is that? And what is it used for? <laughs> Um, number four, every time they get out of your car, they see your butt crack. You or you see their butt crack. Ooh, yeah, that's that's a problem. It's a red flag for me. It's a red flag. Mostly for me, because if your pants don't hang on up, that means you don't have a butt. <laughs> for me, it's more of a self-awareness piece. Like, mm, you're not really aware of your What's going on there? That's concerning. Or you're also just wearing poorly fitting clothes. <laughs> Which also, is, yep. Also <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> um, number five, they're constantly playing with their pubes. <laughs> Do you come up with these or did you have ChatGPT come up with these? I come up with these. I come up with a lot of them. I have used ChatGPT in the past. Um, I do come up with a lot of them myself though. Excellent. Um, yeah, that's a deal breaker. <laughs> also, I feel like I'd be concerned about STIs a little bit. Be like, I'm gonna get checked out. Well, so like, okay, <laughs> this might be too much information. But for me, sometimes I'm just, you know, the hands in the pants and I'm just like watching a movie and I'm like, like scratching or just like mindlessly like, <laughs> like, I, that's just the thing I do. It's not a thing I normally do, but sometimes it's like a relaxation thing. It's, I mean, I think that's fine. If, if, I guess if it was explained to me like that, that I was imagining someone just itching down there all the time in like a distracting way at a restaurant, you know? I did, I did extremify it. I said constantly, but no, yeah, it's that, that one comes from me. <laughs> But I do also have several games. I have a Red Flags game. I have a Deal Breakers game from Anna Ferris. I have an, a Triple X game from We're Not Really Strangers. Sometimes I just take one of their questions or I'll yeah. alter it or something. I, just, I get a little creative with it. I love it. It's a great game. Well, Melanie, this has been so much fun. I'm glad to have you here. This has been such a good conversation. Where can my listeners find you? Yeah, you can find my podcast anywhere there are podcasts, Dear Men Podcast, Dear Men, How to Rock Sex, Dating, and Relationships with Men. And you can find more info on the streaming course I mentioned, Please Her in Bed at pleaseherinbed.com, which will also take you to my website. So if you're interested in coaching, you can find that there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melanie. We'll see you next time. A very special thank you to my guests for joining me in this week's episode. Check out the episode description for all of their information. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a comment and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll really help out the show. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel for video versions of this show and other content. You will find my blogs, The Deviant Diaries, and A Deviant's Guide to Sex, show notes, articles used, and Hookup Horror Stories official merch on my website at DimitriWild.com. You can also purchase both of my poetry books, Better Blue Pill, and Always Nothing in the Time of Champions from Amazon.com. Just search for Dimitri Wild. Oh, one last thing. Thank you for listening. Stay deviant. Remember, subscribing might not be worth it, but it's also not optional. So just do it. <laughs>